Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. You know, last week I was at this event and I saw this woman across the room and we didn't know each other, but we caught each other's eye and we we knew of each other because we're both in the biz. And uh, so she starts heading towards me and I'm thinking, well, here comes small talk because that's what happens when you don't know somebody. So she walks over and, uh, you know, we're like, you know, hi, hi. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And she's like, nice to meet you. And how are you? Good, good. (laughs) You, how are you? Good, good. Good. Are you, work? How's work? Great. Work is great. Are you busy? Busy. Yes. Well, it's good to be busy. Yes, we're happy to be busy. You know. This is nice, isn't it? This is a nice... Uh, it is. It's nice. This is pretty the way they've decorated it. Sure is cold. Yeah. And outside or in here? Outside. Yes. Out, yes. There's cold everywhere. It's cold. So cold everywhere. It's winter. <laughs> All right. So uh, that, of course, is Ellen DeGeneres uh, describing the awkwardness of small talk. Uh, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and we're going to be talking about it with uh, several people who um, have, I think, mastered the art of conversation far better than I have. But we'll see. Uh, later in the show, because, in fact, as Ellen DeGeneres just indicated, the weather is kind of like a default position for small talk. Uh, we are going to talk to Garrett Argianis, uh, our own forensic meteorologist, uh, about this. And later in the show, we're also going to talk to a philosopher uh, about what's really happening in in small talk, what small, what one possible purpose of small talk. But we're going to begin with two fascinating, glittering, I would say, conversationalists. Uh, Alexandra Petra is a columnist for The Washington Post. She's been on the show many times. She is a punning champion and the author of a Field Guide to Awkward Silences, so you can see why she would be good on this show. Uh, her new book of essays, Nothing is Wrong and Here is Why, will be published in June 2020. We're going to link to the pre-order page, although we would prefer that you buy this book at a small independent bookstore where their clerks are writing their staff picks out on index cards and ballpoint pen. That is like where we would like you to buy it. Alexandra's book. But, you know, obviously you're a free person. You do what you want. Uh, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College, is a frequent guest on our Friday pop culture panel, which we call The Nose. Uh, So um, actually, I'm going to ask you both to sort of dilate for a moment upon what the actual nature of small talk is. But Irene, I'm going to begin with you just because when when Betsy Kaplan announced that we were going to do this show, I said, well, you should get Irene Papoulis because Irene Papoulis thinks that nobody really talks about anything, that people don't have real conversations. Uh, Irene Papoulis would be a good person to inveigh against uh, the, the meaning depletion of small talk. And then it turns out that's not your position at all. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I evolved. People, you know, I think when I was younger, I used to say that all the time. And I was, I was that annoying 20-year-old who would go up to strangers and, you know, try to get them into the kind of conversations that Alexandra talked about in her op-ed that we read, you know, just like, let's have a deep conversation right now. And, um, and I hated it. I just hated anything that was like small talk. It's true. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of appreciated it. It sort of started with 
part of it is that you know, I teach at Trinity College, and when I've met the trustees, I feel very relaxed around them sometimes in, in relation to how I feel with other academics who tend to be more awkward, and you have to like strive to think of something to say. The trustees are all in business. They're all sort of high, these high-level business people, most of them, and they just are so good at smooth conversations where you just feel really, really comfortable. And so I've come to, I, I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I study it, and I think it's 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 something I aspire to now. See, I feel you should have made some public announcement about this <laughs> because I have felt, you know, and this wasn't just in your adolescence. This was in the, within the last 10 years you took this position. And I have felt yeah. some kind of burden when I meet you that I should, not a burden exactly, but an obligation that I should have something deep and interesting to say that I, not that I wouldn't be capable of, you know. Which you would. Yeah, you yeah. know, I always feel like you kind of do. Yeah, that, well, because that's... you've announced that's what you want. All right, we, <laughs> we have to go over to Alexandra. Alexandra, do we even have a working definition of small talk? It seems to me a pretty relativistic thing that one person's small talk is another person's medium talk. Oh, well, exactly, yeah, and large talk. I'm not even sure what that would <laughs> But that's pretty big talk you got there. That sounds like that's something you have in like an old Western saloon. But I don't know. I, I'm also team. I love small talk. I think it's so often so much better than the alternative. I think if you remove small talk, then people wind up telling you things like, you know, I never felt my parents truly loved me. <laughs> or like, I just think, is any ethics possible under capitalism? And those are fascinating conversations, but sometimes you just want to get like a salad and not uh, <laughs> really contemplate everything that's wrong with the universe around you. And therefore, small talk is a wonderful, uh, there's some word, and it maybe starts with an anno, like anodyne or something, but pop, there's a wonderful <laughs> vocabulary word that describes it. It's like a, you throw it on there and you have it instead of, it's like, the pants were they're plausibly plausible deniable pajamas where you can wear them out of the house and be like no i was going to work out these aren't really pajamas <laughs> i feel like that level of comfort can be achieved by small talk yeah. and also that level of flexibility where sometimes really what you're saying when you say how's the weather going is i love you but <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so um subtext by the way, this is one of the these shows where if you are listening at 1 o'clock or whatever time it is right now, one twelve in the afternoon, uh, you are free to call in and express your own thoughts about this, 888-720-WNPR. And we have registered small talk counselors here to take your call <laughs> and give you uh, some kind of counseling or adjudication of your claim, 888-720-9677, 888-720-9677. So I'm going to give you uh, both a, something that happened to me within the last four hours uh, in, a, in a manner that would not be directly connected to the fact that I was about to do a show about small talk. But having completed another show this morning uh, at 10 o'clock, I was going to leave the office and go home. I boarded the elevator. Alexandra, it might be important to you to know that we are located on the third floor. The elevator was coming down from the sixth floor. And when the doors open, our director of human resources, Sonia, was there with some guy who I take to maybe be a job candidate or something. He was like better dressed than most of us. And, and they were in the middle of a conversation that had been going on for three floors already, I guess. And so as I got on, Sonia turned to me and said, oh, Colin, do you snore? <laughs> and I just... Well, I mean, I, I, first of all, I wonder if that's fair. <laughs> but do you think she thought it was small talk? Well, that's what I'm asking you. Like, is that, mm. 
is and I mean it's it's an argument also that the venue is important. Like I think maybe if we were sitting around a coffee shop and there was a lead up to this, it might have been small talk. But I, I felt put very much on the spot. So um, yeah, I'm looking for some kind of ruling here or something like. What can you say? Yeah, go ahead, Alexandra. I think there's a sort of a school of not small talk where people like to cut straight in with an enormous question. And I wonder, because <laughs> this one, I think there's some ambiguity of mm-hmm. did she think it was an enormous question that would really like reveal things about you? Like when people walk into a room and go, do you know, like, do you think there should be koalas? Which I guess is not a hard one. I, I really thought when I was phrasing it that it was going to lead to more discussion. Or like those games where you try to divide the room, right. which... You, and I, I wonder if the snoring is one of those. Because you also, if you did snore, you wouldn't know. I'm not sure what – All none of the snorers I know, they all would deny ardently that they do any snoring at all. So I think it actually she was leading you to a conversational dead end. And for that reason, I'm ruling against it. Okay. Uh, did you want to make a ruling? I I, – I, I, let's see. I, I, I want to I, – I want to sympathize with her thinking like, okay, there's, you know, we only have a little time. Maybe she I'll may, just throw out a fun question. And she maybe wanted to include me in the conversation that had already been they spiraling been down about for the it. previous yeah. three floors on the elevator. That would be yeah. the benign. I mean, to me, the answer, I, what I said was, I guess I do snore, but I think everybody snores. And if I had more time, Alexandra, what I would have said was, I think everybody snores, but they think the other person snores. They don't think that they snore. And additionally, in my own life, if I wake up and hear snoring, it's a, there's a possibility that it's the other person, but also there's a 70-pound dog lying on his back in our bed with his legs up in the air, and sometimes he's snoring. And, and so now you've got sort of a human beast issue. But you can't, you can't see that on an elevator. <laughs> Yeah, it, ha- it was constrained. It had to be small talk. Whatever came out of you could not have lasted. Like it was going to be a fun-sized conversation no matter what. So right. really she was setting you up for failure there because that dog story was wonderful and humanizing, but you're right. You have to like held the ed- elevator door button forcibly, and <laughs> right. that's just not the move at no. all. No, now I'm the crazy person talking about his dog on the elevator. But it could be no, but my dog does. That could have done it, maybe. Yeah. That would have been a lie, though. I don't want to lie just to you know make small talk happen better. So, yeah. so, so Alexander's point, one of Alexander's points is that it, it's too burdensome just to traffic in the truth all the time. That, uh, in fact, she did a very funny column about this, which, like every conversation, kind of turns into a Strindberg play <laughs> at a certain point where people are just confessing the the terror and sadness that, <laughs> that they feel. And I just wonder. I mean, so actually, do we have the Larry David quote here? We do have it, right? Um, to me. This is where we maybe should be heading. So this is, I guess, uh, A1 cat. I don't really even know how to write cursive anymore. So how's your marriage? What the hell? Why, why would you ask me that? I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Okay, fine. Um, it's all right. You know, it's, it's fine. It's okay. How often do you have sex? Almost never. Hmm. So um, there's a lot we could say about that. But uh, in fact, I, I should maybe just l- let the two conversationalists. So react to that, Irene, and then and then Alex. Um, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big subject. Yeah. I, I think that would be my first thought. 
But I, mean, I yeah, but I think also that idea of medium talk is an interesting idea. I love I yeah, medium to, and also to elevate it. Yeah. It's true. And if you say you're elevating it, you know, there's always whenever you go a little bit meta, it can be interesting. And, it, and that can actually be an interesting part of small talk too. Like, well, here we are talking about the weather. That automatically seems to elevate things maybe to medium talk, you know. You think weather is medium talk? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, but okay. talking about talking about the weather is medium talk, you know? If don't you think? I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll throw it over to Alexander. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think observing what you're doing and sort of making eye contact with the other person and saying, so we don't seem to be having an interesting conversation. And if the person's willing to concede that point, <laughs> yes. you, know, then you can maybe <laughs> level things up, as you say, elevate them. But I guess my question is, if how is your marriage is medium talk? What's big talk? Right. I really think our scale is off again. Yeah. No, I, I think that one of the things that that Larry David does do well is medium talk in the sense that Larry David and his confederates would have a really interesting conversation about what you can ask somebody on an elevator. You know, what's too much? What's what's not enough? You know, they, they would have had the conversation that we just had because one of the things they do a lot uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm is explore those unwritten rules of life. And I, I think that is medium talk. You know, that's that's like a really good kind of conversation that, to me, rises above small talk, but ultimately is about something. And even how's your marriage could be medium. It depends, you know, how how explicit you want to get with your with your answer to that. How, how often do you have sex? That probably goes up to <laughs> up to large talk, which I think is sort of the joke. Yeah. You know, probably at, at the end of that thing. So yeah, we, Although, yeah go ahead, go ahead. Did anybody see? Uh, the room because there's a great parody of somebody trying I think an inadvertent parody of this guy who's trying to have a medium talk and so his friend is complaining about his day at the bank and he goes wow that's great so how is your sex life and it's just an amazing transitionless leveling up that <laughs> illustrates the difficulties of this approach and yeah watch the room it's a tremendous film yeah not to, not to be confused with the room which is like has a whole other separate group of conversational issues um all right so we do have a lot of calls coming in here uh why not uh, take some here's matt in new haven matt give us your uh, give us your take on this hi yeah thanks for taking my call big fan of the show um i work for uh, i work for trader joe's in orange um, and before I started working for the company, I really hated small talk. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I couldn't stand it. Um, but I've learned to appreciate it so much more because when you have, um, like really short interactions with people like we do say at the registers, it's a great way to start a conversation with people and have that conversation go somewhere. Um, and also it's a way to show people that like you're interested in talking to them or interest, like you, you care about them. Like, Hey, how's your day? It can be just a, it can, it can mean nothing. Yeah. Um, is it, so that, like, would that be an example? Like, I mean, give us an example besides, Hey, Hey, how's your day? How, how would you get something like that going? Uh, like I usually start off with like, Hey, what's going on? And then they'll say like, ah, oh, nothing much. And I'm like, oh yeah, just Wednesday stuff. But that will kind of continue on because we've kind of broken the ice of conversation a little bit. Like, oh, like I'm doing some errands and I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, uh, yeah, I, got, I only have a little bit of time while my kids are at daycare and I'll ask them how many kids they have. And so the conversation will continue from there. Um, but I'm not going to start the conversation off by saying like, hey, how many kids do you have? Like, and that's weird, right. but it's, it's a way to kind of get it going. So I've right. learned to value it in that way. Right. Of course, I mean, from Alexander's point of view, somebody might answer with you, answer you with, oh, I don't know. I'm afraid death might just be a void. It could be just nothingness. Um, so, 
But that, that's well. I want to get the two panelists to react to that because to me, I'm always afraid that when Matt says, "How's it going?" and I go, "I don't know. I'm really busy." That's my answer, which is, just seems like so feeble. And you don't you don't feel that there's any connection. If you said that, you wouldn't feel like you somehow bonded with. Him. I feel like a jerk, you know, because I'm really busy. That's like my answer to everything, you know. I mean, telling oh, the because truth. it's not interesting yeah. enough. <laughs> go ahead, yeah. Alexander. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I think it's a connection. I think it's just like the act of the other person showing that they want to be interested in you. And they're like, hey, there's a person in this interaction. Like, I'm not at CVS self-checking. I'm talking to a human <laughs> being. That's a cool opportunity that I have today. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I, I really that. agree with you. And I think that, that in a way, time is a factor in small talk, too, because there's nothing worse than getting caught with someone somewhere at a, in a corner of a party. And it's mm. hard to extricate yourself because they're just going on and on about more small talk. So small talk works best in small in small pieces. So being at a checkout line, you know, you, you have to go because there's someone behind you in line. So you don't have to get too involved. You can just kind of say, I'm having a terrible day. And the person will say, oh, that's too bad. And then you're gone. Right. All right. We actually do have uh, somebody on the line who is already an acknowledged master of small talk uh, in an introduction, which um, uh, Alexander didn't get to hear, but which ran before the news. I did mention I have this friend, Carice, and uh, when I've been at large gatherings with that she's at, I often look across the room and Carice is always engaged in what seems to be a very vivacious conversation with other people that, you know, it seems like a conversation, at least when glimpsed from afar, that I would like to be a part of, but which I also know I'm not capable of having. Um, so anyway, here is Chris, <laughs> possibly feeling self-conscious at this point. Hi, Chris. Hello. So are you going to give us some tips? Like, how do you do it? Um, how do I do it? Um, well, I, I actually never really considered myself to be a master at small talk. So this is a little bit of a, a shock to me. But um, if you think back, perhaps to some of the random Halloween parties and gatherings that used to happen um, at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people there and as much I, part of it came from hosting. I wanted to acknowledge everybody. I wanted to greet everyone and say hi and welcome them and have them be a part of what was going on. But it was hard to get involved in a conversation for a long period of time with one person because then I would start to feel bad that I was neglecting somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it it, it kind of grew from that, I guess. And that and the fact that, honestly, I I just like to talk. (laughs) Well, but I I think also, stay on the line for a second, Grace. One thing, Alexander, one thing that Irene and I were saying is that small talk, it can be very banal. But it also can be cool. There are people who can do it in a way that's cool. Whenever I, I'm watching Carice, I'm mean, not that I stalk Carice and watch everything she does, but if I look across the room and there she is and she's talking, it just seems like they're having like a really cool conversation. And, and I think, Alexandra, that's a thing worth pointing out, that small talk done well can be cool. Yeah. I think also it helps if you have one small subject that you know the other person's interested in, which is hard on a first meet. But now I have friends who, like, they know that I'm going to have a Star Wars opinion, and I know that they're going to have a Star Wars opinion. Or, like, we're both trying to not lose a pair of sunglasses or just something like that (laughs) that we can check up on. And it's absolutely, totally minutia, but at the same time can consume a whole afternoon in a delightful way. And so, Irene, I know that you said that you admire people who can do this well, and you actually did have an instance uh, that you remember that I've forgotten. 
that when we were at a spelling we, bee. We were at a this spelling bee. This is the kind of exciting bee. life that we lead here. But <laughs> Yeah, and so I got to be on Colin's team, and uh, Rand Cooper was on it too, who's, who's very good at small talk. And But afterwards, there was everyone was milling around, and there was this guy... Uh, uh, that I that I knew was famous, it was sort of locally famous, and it was like I, you know, he, um, his name is Ray Hartman. He was on a on a show in the morning. No, and it's I Ray Dunaway. Ray, oh, sorry, not Ray, Ray Hartman. Hartman is our guy. Ray Hartman's on this show. Yeah, no, Ray Dunaway. So I didn't know him. I didn't think I agreed with him on things or anything. But he was he was sort of in a cluster of people, and the cluster of people was was really animated. So it was one of those experiences, like Colin looking across at Caris. And I just thought, and so I went and sort of stood on the edge of this circle. And he was, I mean, he was a master and Rand sort of got involved with it also. And they were just talking and they were just going from one person to the next and engaging each person, letting each person say something, moving on to the next person. And it was, it was, uh, it was like a beautiful, I felt like I was watching um, a beautiful performance, like just some kind of art of the ability to do that. And I was thinking that it's not, you know, some people are really entertaining when they're talking, you know, like if somebody's really funny and they can just go on and on and on and entertain and, and you like to listen to them. That's a different thing from being a good small talker because a small talker actually engages people, I think, and sort of riffs on what they say, what they, you know, what they get from the person. So they look around, they can, they have, they can, they can sort of perceive something or ask somebody a question and then do something with the answer that makes everybody feel really happy. So that's, and that's what he yeah. was doing. So, so, Chris, that might be a part of the secret is you meet people at their level, right? You don't – like if if I'm trying to yeah. engage somebody in a conversation, I'll probably try to tell them something that I'm interested in, which is completely <laughs> the wrong way to do it, right? Um, not – yes. It's not, it's not the best way to start the small talk. Um, <laughs> however, however, if you happen to notice something, for example, I don't know, maybe they're – maybe they have a pin on or – and it, it, you relate to something. Or, for, for example, if I see someone else with a nose ring, I might say, hey, where did you get that? I have one, too. What was your experience like? So it, you can bring yourself into it as long as you see a connection with another person. But just walking up to someone and saying, hey, guess what? Look at my nose ring. Isn't that cool? That is not small talk. No, no. Um, that's just being weird. which which i think is the thing that i'm actually good at um but and you know i want to go back to something that you said alexandra because i think that that's true the thing where you establish over a series of encounters that you and another person are both really interested in star wars or the washington nationals or epidemiology or something. But I think, Alexandra, isn't there also a risk that you become the person who can only talk about that? Because I've even, I've sort of done that with people in the past. And sometimes they'll say, you know, Colin, you only ever want to talk about whatever this thing is that I think I've so cleverly isolated as a thing we can talk about. No, that's true. I have to like, I have a friend and we always text each other about Star Wars updates. And then I'm like, oh, and you're dating someone I see. And maybe you're going to get engaged. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but it never really came up. So you have to think, I think uh, Fran Lebowitz said the opposite of talking isn't listening. The opposite of talking is waiting. And that's a bad recipe for small talk. I think good small talk, you have to listen and you have to ask follow up questions about what the person is saying, because otherwise you do wind up just sort of spouting 
information in a way that then years later you discover that your friend has like six children with a woman that he met and like it's the love of his life and like you've just been talking about uh mon mothma the whole time right exactly <laughs> someone says to you i just got out of the hospital after two weeks and you go i think john boyega is really growing in his role there <laughs> <laughs> once again it gets to that point of you have to meet people at their actual level all right, so can we take one more call here? Yeah, and Betsy Gelb is about to tell me which one, although everybody's interesting. We know that. We know every single caller on this board is interesting. Uh, here's Adam in Plainville. Hi, Adam. Hey, Colin. So I have two quick things to say about uh, caller and your panelists. Yep. Thank you, panelists, for bringing up the room. That's awesome. And <laughs> yes, I will agree. Trader Joe's cashiers are really good at small talk. They make me feel special every time I go in there. All right. So, so yeah, and he has another point. Yeah, go ahead. That I think with the advent of smartphones, small talk art is uh, eighty cent, uh, probably an eighty-seven percent increase, or sorry, decrease from where it was before. Now that awkward silence is filled with everyone staring at their phones rather than talking. So I feel like maybe smartphones are going to kind of destroy the art of small talk. Except with your Trader Joe's cashier, whom you cannot text. Um, yeah, Alexandra, I mean, I feel like we might have arrived at a moment that borders somewhere between small talk and medium talk, which is blaming smartphones for something. Oh, yeah. I think that's a large medium, like a, that's like a venti, grande, grande comment, <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead, well, Ari. One time I, there was a report on NPR that really fascinated me about the uh, police trainers, and they were talking about training cops to walk the streets, and the guy was saying, he was he was an older guy, and he said, you know, these, these millennials don't know how to do small talk. And so now they have special, they had special classes in this program for for young people to, to train them to small talk. So just so they could walk down the street and say hi to people because otherwise they would have their phones and they they, they didn't know how to do it. So maybe it, it, it's a generational, you know, maybe, maybe younger people don't value it as much. I mean, I asked my students yesterday, what do you guys think of small talk? And they just kind of stared at me, you know. <laughs> So, All right. Yeah. Well, we have to uh, take a little break here and go on to move on to uh, the weather uh, and to philosophy. I want to thank Alexandra Petri, as usual, hilarious columnist for The Washington Post. Her book of essays, Nothing is Wrong and Here is Why, will be published in June. And please go and buy it from uh, an independent bookstore where there are ladies with pince-nez glasses and people writing staff picks on index cards. And Irene Papoulis from Trinity College. Don't bring up uh, heavy conversations with her anymore. She wants some really good small talk. All right, so I think we're talking about small talk, and Irene Papoulis is uh, with us, uh, and we're about to uh, talk to one of the glittering stars of meteorology. And, and, and to that point, before I bring Garrett aboard, I think one of the th- those of us who have anxiety about small talk, I, I think it, it, it is, it's caused, it's triggered by the fact that we try to think of something to say. The worst thing that you can do in a social situation is try to think of something to say. What am I going to say? What am I going to talk to this person about? Uh, because already you're sort of in, in an engine stall. You know, your plane is already sputtering in the sky while you think about this. Uh, but one of the things people do like to talk about is the weather, which means that Garrett Argianis is even more popular than he ordinarily or already would be at parties because he's a forensic meteorologist, our favorite weather forecaster. Uh, he joins us now. Hi, Garrett. Hello, Colin. Good afternoon. 
glittering, but no nose ring, by the way. <laughs> no nose ring, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I assume that that's true, that, you know, when you're, if you walk into a barbecue, uh, in a backyard barbecue where you don't know too many people, people want to talk to you right away anyway. There's like automatically a th- conversation that everybody can have. Absolutely. And if they see me carrying an umbrella, then that makes them even more cautious. <laughs> so so um, so how do you handle that? I mean, first of all, it's also possible. For example, Irene, I don't know about you. If I ran into Garrett uh, at a party, I might not want to talk about the weather to him because I would be thinking he gets too much of that. He's already being pigeonholed. Mm, I'd probably be thinking that, too. Yeah. But I would be kind of curious to hear about it. <laughs> So do you, first of all, Garrett, do you mind being asked about the weather in social, in situations where you are not there in pursuant to your trade as a meteorologist? Oh, I think it's part of a normal course in general. People talk about the weather. So often they'll ask about the weather and assuming I can answer their question, I'm happy to do so. All right. So, you know, the, the show is nominally about small talk, but Garrett, it's possible that you don't think weather is small talk. I mean, I, you, you don't think it's a small subject. You've devoted your life to it. So, I mean, do you see just general conversation about the weather as small talk or is it something more elevated than that? Um, I mean, in general, I'd say it's small talk. You know, it's something that, that unifies us. And I think that beyond anything else that we experience, we all experience the weather. So even and, uh, and obviously we're in a very charged uh, political campaign right now. Not everybody necessarily is interested in politics, but something like the weather, of course, everyone is in it. You're in it every day. And even today, I was out a little while ago and, you know, it's a nice mild day. And then suddenly the wind kicks up and it feels kind of cool and that can be kind of annoying. So it's just something that that's kind of a common factor that can connect people together. Yeah. See, did you notice he was getting into kind of a weather? weather I did notice. And I think it's interesting because you're the kind of person who obviously notices the details that we might not, you know, I might not have noticed that the wind picked up in a particular way and you did. So that does make you a very, that that seems to me to move it to medium talk. Right. Well, you know, Garrett, you and I used to work uh, at another radio station, or I worked at the radio station, and you were, I think, in 61 at the time, but you were doing weather for us. And there was a day when, do you, Garrett, do you remember Clark Howard, the guy who does, like, the consumer show, the... It's like a sort of a. I don't. Okay. Well, there's this guy Clark Howard, and he does this pretty famous syndicated radio show. It's very, very popular, where people call up about how to get deals on things and how not to get uh, taken to the cleaners and and what what is a good bargain and what's a good product and stuff like that. And so he came and he visited the station one day, and he walked around the station, and I realized that he had something. He was just never at a loss for conversation, and everybody wanted to talk to him. And even if people didn't know who, who he was, uh, he would immediately begin a conversation by pointing to something they had and said, "Say, where did you get that? What did you pay for it?" Uh, and you know, in, <laughs> immediately the conversation began. But so, but Irene, I feel like also as someone who seeks. Obviously, you've become more pro small talk than you <laughs> used to be. But but you know, in a way, I do wonder about talking to that person all the time about that the thing that person does, if this makes any sense. Um, well, I, 
uh, you wonder whether it's a good thing or well, not. If, I, if I only ever talked to you about teaching after a while, you'd feel like oh. I had defined you as a teacher. Oh yeah, no, then it would be then it would be very dull, mm-hmm. I think. But I but I think it's it's you know everybody likes to be acknowledged, and sometimes when we meet somebody and you want you want somebody to think to like you, you think that you have to say something about yourself. But in fact, they're going to like you more if you say something about them. So it's a start and it's a way in. But if you just stay there, like just tread, you know, going around the treadmill of it, then then it that's why I still think I'm, I keep now I'm really thinking about the idea of the time factor. Like, how long is it going to last? How long do you have to talk to the person about small talk? And and when can you switch to another topic or when can it go to another level or what makes it go to another level? Maybe, maybe a good question for you, Garrett, is what do you wish people would talk to you about? I mean, if, mm-hmm. if they're going to come up to you and pepper you with questions about the weather or complain about predictions that didn't come out right or whatever it is that people do, uh, what's the hidden topic that you're every bit as interested in talking about uh, as weather? Boy, you know, I, I could talk about cooking, um, I could talk <laughs> about a lot of things, uh, even baseball. You know, I obviously, like everybody else, you know, I have interest in other areas, mm-hmm. but you know, even if there's someone that, that doesn't know I'm a meteorologist, and I don't expect that they're going to know that, people just talk about the weather anyway. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, you can leave weather, a weather meteorologist out of the equation. Weather is just something that, that everybody has something to say about. So if you were, if we were at a barbecue, who would ever thought you just had? Okay. If we were at a barbecue and Irene and I were talking about the weather and you came over to join us and we didn't know you were a meteorologist and we were talking about the weather and probably talking about the weather in a pretty unknowledgeable, bordering on ignorant way. Would you tell us you were a meteorologist? Boy, um, (laughs) I suppose that I would uh, at least throw in my two cents. I might not immediately reveal a meteorologist. Right. I think it might be. uh, Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking that having the same question and wondering if it would it would it would give you pleasure, Garrett, to, to be able to just talk about the weather without revealing yourself as a meteorologist or, you know, pleasure or just kind of a sense of fun or, or engagement, a different kind of engagement. All right. You know what? Well, I think one thing. Yeah, go ahead, Garrett. Go ahead. Uh, one thing that, that can happen is if, um, if somebody doesn't know them, a meteorologist, and I offer some comments about the weather, they, you know, can be dismissive sometimes or they think they know and I don't know. So that that can happen. It's that information thing that, you know, if they don't know that's your trade, they think they know better. Uh, you run into that quite a bit. Um, but also one thing that, that reminds me of a show Colin did, I think it was last week about um, kind of being a you don't want to come across as a smart aleck or, or knowing everything or knowing too much either. So I don't want to come across as a professor about meteorology either. So, you know, when I talk to people about the weather, you know, I I speak the way people speak about the weather. I don't use super technical terms because, you know, it's like if you go to the doctor, you want the doctor to tell you what's wrong. You don't want the scientific explanation behind, you know, why your arm hurts. Oh, exactly. So uh, we're going to have to take a break uh, and get ready for our final segment here. But as long as we've got you, Garrett, what's the weather going to be for the rest of the week? Rest of the week. Well, windy for the rest of the day. We already hit on that. Uh, pretty nice tomorrow. I'll tell you, tomorrow's going to be a gem of a, a late winter day around 50. And then there's a storm that's going to be a complete miss or just about on Friday. So the rumors of a big storm late week were largely exaggerated.
All right. Did you know that? Thank right? you. Did I you did know not know, did that you know any of that. Did I'm you? I'm so right. happy I See, know it now. He actually has something that he can tell people that is useful, which is none of the thing that differentiates him from most of us. All right, Garrett Arginus, thanks so much for uh, joining us in this slightly different capacity. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk to a philosopher uh, about the way, well, about how small talk actually may have uh, another agenda. All right. Welcome to our show about uh, small talk. Uh, and Irene Papoulis from Trinity College uh, is with us. And now joining us is uh, Agnes Callard, uh, an associate professor uh, of philosophy at the University of Chicago. And oh, before we go to her, we're going to go to her in just a second. And a monthly columnist for The Point magazine and a contributor to The New York Times. But possibly to set up this conversation, let us go to one of our phone callers. Uh, we, we were taking phone calls. I don't know if we're going to continue to take them, but uh, we have Eugene from Willimantic. Hi, Eugene. Uh, you have a comment, I believe, on the purpose of small talk. Well, I had a question. I thought uh, I was wondering if your guests could comment on what they think the actual purpose of small talk is. I'll preface this by saying I'm a physician. And, uh, of course, a lot of my job is taking history from patients. And, and I generally engage in a lot of small talk with the, visit, with the patients to, to uh, maybe help draw them out a little bit, have a little more confidence in me. Uh, that's always a good thing when you're a physician. But uh, I have a directed purpose for what I'm doing. I wonder if there's a directed purpose for the general type of small talk we see when we meet someone at a party or the type of stuff you're talking about in the office. I'm, all right. I'm open, listen online. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, and that is a perfect uh, segue into Agnes Callard, uh, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Chicago, monthly columnist for The Point magazine, where she's actually written about this and a contributor to The New York Times. Welcome to our conversation. Thanks so much. So one of the things that you do is you, I mean, Eugene has has opened the door perfectly. And so you say that conversation can be understood as a game or possibly uh, three different possible games. So let's talk about these three games. The first one is uh, called the basic game. What's the basic game? The basic game is we figure out what we have in common. Right. Shared interests, um, shared knowledge, that sort of thing. And when, what's the purpose of that? Um, I, well, you, you started this show by talking about walking up to someone and telling them that the Xerox was invented before something or other. I missed this. <laughs> something, yeah. The, yeah, it's the fax so like, machine. Yeah. You don't know whether that person was like interested in hearing it, right? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so, um, so if we found an area of shared interest, we could be exchanging information on that topic. Right. Um, so, um, okay, so that's game number one. Irene, did you want to say anything about the purpose of that game? Uh, but, no, she, or she will, she'll pass for now. Yeah. She shook her head. Uh, all right, so now the next thing we have is the importance game. Explain the importance game. Yeah, so that's a game where I ask you to recognize my status, and I want you to see that I have sort of achieved things in life. I have a certain kind of station. I'm owed a certain kind of respect. And maybe I'm also trying to get you to see that I'm more important than you are and that we're going to converse on those terms, on hierarchical terms. Let me ask you this. Is the importance game always, in other words, we could understand that in a very kind of obvious and forthright denotative way. Like, here's why I'm, I'm important. I recently won a Pulitzer or whatever it is. Um, or is it more hinted at that, that I'm important or I, I would take precedence over you in the importance game because I know a certain thing? It's always hinted at. It's okay. never explicit. Yeah. And so um, 
And so, the, what is what does one win? If one wins that game, what do you win? You just win a, a theoretical advantage in that particular conversation, or is there something of more permanence to take away from it? You win the fact that the conversation proceeds on those terms. Hmm. So, on the terms where say say I win, then uh, you know you're going to acknowledge my my hierarchical position in relation to you, and the whole rest of the conversation is conducted. I would say in, in in that way, though it might it might get renegotiated, you know, over the course of the conversation. Right. But one person does one person always have to be better? In I guess in that scheme, one one person does, right? Um, not necessarily. So these games are maybe it might help to just introduce the last game and okay. then. <laughs> All right. Yes. Good idea. Um, and then we'll we'll um because the games are they they're interwoven in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I just speak to that? Sure. Okay, so the last one is I call it the leveling game, and it's sort of the opposite of the importance game. It's where I ask, you know, that we see each other as equals um, and that as sort of fellow sufferers and um, so so not just equals, but sort of equals at the kind of low range of equality. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I might play that game by talking about just sort of like how overwhelmed I am or how I'm failing at things or what in ways that are that the people can empathize with. Right. Um, and, um, and that suggests that the conversation should proceed on those terms in terms of the importance game. One thing that can happen is that we can both recognize one another's status in maybe different domains. And we don't necessarily have to turn it into like, I have more status than you as I might be okay with you just speaking to me as though I have a lot of status in my like my domain without uh, having to ascertain like which of the two of us is more important. This is really, I'm thinking of some actual uh, concrete examples of this and I'm realizing, and well, I mean, maybe it's worth saying, Agnes, maybe nobody plays just one of those games, right? Is is everybody always playing two or possibly three of those games? So let me give you one example of a way that you do it. You said, I tell people I'm really busy. (laughs) Um, so biz, that's a perfect way of playing both the importance game and the leveling game at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a big reason why people say that about themselves. So you playing the leveling game cause you're sort of saying that you're overwhelmed. Oh, life is hard, you know, but you're also saying, look, I'm the kind of person who has lots of demands on them. I'm, you know, I'm busy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why the idea of I'm busy also leads to the thought, like glad to be busy, you know, glad to have something to do. So that's a kind of sweet spot. I'm busy between those two games. And I think that's part of why it's so popular. All right. I am now going to give oh, – what were you about to say? I was going to say uh, a, a variation on the uh, – uh, on how the how they could go together because I was thinking when I when I read the article I was thinking all right like how do I fit into this and I was thinking that if I'm faced you know so I I live in the academic world but I don't have I I couldn't even dream of the kind of position that Agnes has in the academic world so I might go into a conversation with you Agnes and think oh my gosh she's so much of a more successful academic than I'll ever be you're playing a leveling game right now I can see you do this yeah so so then in that case no but in that case I sort of see my status is lower but at the same and so maybe in the past I would have just said okay my status is lower forget it but now as I you know I have maybe a little more confidence I might think all right but what I want to do is convince her that in some way I'm I'm worthy of your attention because even though I don't have those external kind of status I could try so it would be I might call it leveling up you know like trying to level up and so you you would call that leveling also right I think 
it, I think I would call it the importance game if you're trying to level up. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, the right. Level is showing up there, but even I if it's not that, better you know, what, than, it's just you're as to, you're not necessarily better than, but you're trying to get me to recognize your status, which is to yes. say your your you know high status, even maybe not higher than me, but high. Right. Um, and maybe it's worth just taking a very quick step back. You you at the beginning of this uh, uh, show, you talked about defining small talk, but you never actually defined it. Yes. So. Uh, it just might be helpful to say, like, what I think of small talk is, uh, is it's conversation aimed at a kind of introductory negotiation of social relationships hmm. rather than at conveying information. Okay. So small talk does, is not designed to convey information. It's designed to negotiate social relationships as an introduction to other forms of conversation, some of which might involve conveying information. Okay. So all of these games, even including the basic game, um, are about negotiating social relationships. Because even the basic game, if we figure out what we have in common, that then gives us a, a, a sort of a place from which we can move in conveying information. Uh, one question that I have is, where does, what, where does the truth, what role does the truth play in all this? And let me just go back to uh, this whole idea of I'm busy. Like when somebody asks me, how am I doing or whatever, I go, I don't know. I'm just I'm really busy. Um, and, and I see now what that could be in terms of a status marker and stuff like that. But it's also the truth about how I feel. <laughs> like that's my true answer to that question right now is I feel busy. I feel like I have too much stuff to do. I'm tired. Um, so I, I don't know. Is, is the truth an important consideration in all of this, Agnes? The truth is always important. Um, the question you have to ask yourself is there are many, many things that are true about you right now. Why is it that certain facts precipitate <laughs> to the front of your consciousness when you're in small talk situations, right? right? Such that those things seem very true about you under those circumstances. And I'm sort of explaining why those things seem true about you in those circumstances. And that those truths are, I think, facts about social interaction um, in the first instance. Here's a way to put it. You could think of um, the idea of conversation that's aimed at conveying information, okay, where I'm contrasting small talk with that. So you could think of that as being able to be replaced by just slips of paper that have the information on it, okay? Right. So some of the conversations that we have with people could be obviated if they would just hand us a slip of paper that had the information, or they don't even have to hand it to us. It could just be lying there, right? Yeah. Um, but like many of the conversations we have could not be replaced with exchanges with slips of paper, and so when you talk about the truth, you could be talking about something that could be written on a slip of paper and someone could find it and they could get all the information that they would have gotten out of me saying it to them. Or you could be talking about something that is essentially embedded in an interactive human context. And it's that second kind of truth that is, as I would put it, a truth about negotiating social relationships. But is there some very, uh, I'm, now I'm thinking of Alice Miller and Drama of the Gifted Child. So you have this uh, idea that, you know, one one neurotic mode is that you are brought up in a family where your merit is constantly conditional. You really kind of have to prove at all times based on mm -hmm. achievement or something like that, that you are a worthy person, you know, and right. there, so there, and that's how I grew up. And that's why, like, I really feel like my Fitbit is judging me at the end of the day. I mean, <laughs> never mind people, like, I really feel answerable to this crappy little piece of, uh, of hardware sitting on my wrist. Um, right. But there are other people who grew up being loved unconditionally for who they are. So I, I don't know, Agnes, existentially, are we all in the same boat here? Yeah, um, I think that there's a... Um, so small talk is like the tip of an iceberg. Mm -hmm. And the iceberg is this question about, um, you know, 
is for me to be human, is that all about me being as good as I possibly can, where that often includes being better than other people? Or is that me finding a kind of common ground with every other human being who lives and maybe whoever has or will live, right? So those are two really deeply different ways of understanding like what it is for me to be a valuable thing, lovable, loved for who I am, right? I think that you were lo- you were loved for who you could be, right? Mm. And that's a way of loving someone for who they are. It's a way of thinking that the most important thing about someone, maybe even about a child, is who they could become, right? Mm-hmm. That is one way to love them. And another way to love them is to say, no, you are already great just exactly the way you are. And we are all torn between those two forms of love. And very few of us are contented just to be loved for the respect in which we share with every other person, right? So I think of that as a very deep tension and that we are, in some sense, pl- almost play acting that tension in small talk. Right. It's, it would explain anybody where we need to illustrate things about ourselves in small talk. So I will. I just I have to tell this story. It's going to take 60 seconds, which I don't really have, but because it's it indicts me so thoroughly in exactly the way that you're talking about. And it involves Irene. So. We'll go back to this thing. There's this thing called the Creative Cocktail Hour in Hartford that a lot of us, including Irene and I, used to go to a lot. Uh, and there would be like two, 300 people there some nights. I don't know if you remember this, but there was one night where I, in the guise of complaining, in the guise of suggesting that my life was hell, said to you, I want you to stand here with me for the next 45 minutes and we're not going to move from this place and see how many people come up to me with an agenda. Um, (laughs) Because if you host a talk radio show and I write a newspaper column and all this other stuff, in a situation like that, people do. They want you to like do something Mm -hmm. for them or, you know, and, and, and Irene, I don't know if you remember that night, but it was kind of uncanny. It it was uncanny and I, and I, it, it really struck me and it made me think about how it's tr- what you wanted was for them to see you as you, and and that was just never. They couldn't see you as you. They could only see you as Colin McEnroe, the you know the star. Well, I don't know about the star, but 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 yes. see now, Agnes, I'm thinking that's me playing a double game there. I'm I'm complaining about how oppressed I am by people failing to see me for who I am, but really I'm also illustrating to Irene all the people who come up to me wanting something. We only have about forty seconds left, so sum all this up. Tie a bow on it, Agnes. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was that was a that was a perfect example of the same thing as busy, right? You wanted you wanted in some sense to get her empathy for being so superior, um, <laughs> and uh, it's a very, like you you package the two games together really nicely in a really inventive way. There, I have to go. I'm going to have to go sit in a dark room for the rest of the afternoon. I'm starting to kind of hate myself. All right, so but that's been that's a good outcome for all this. Agnes, Agnes Callard, you've been so great, uh, associate professor of philosophy at the University of Chicago and a monthly columnist for the Point Magazine, contributor to the New York Times, wrote a terrific piece on this subject. And Irene Papoulos, where would we have been without you? Uh, well, well, that's a subject for another conversation someday. Thanks again to Betsy Kaplan for producing and Kat Pastor for running the board. <laughs> <laughs> 